Don't give up yet. It's time for another episode of The Plunge, your favorite news and pop culture podcast. We have a whole slew of slime balls to talk about. Plug your nose and let's dive in. Trump gave his first State of the Union address, proving that even the foulest and most foolish around us can talk and stand at the same time when prompted. This monumental achievement prompted liberals to heap obsequious praise on the man-child-in-chief and a chicken executive served as designated survivor. What could have been less appealing? Q. Joe Kennedy's counter-speech for the Democrats and the drool that followed. Let's face it, everything's more substantial than the State of the Union address So we pulled some criminal justice stories from Baltimore, San Francisco, and Detroit that we think you need to hear about. We'll also discuss Trump's material impact on job growth and arm you with knowledge. Compare that to the feeble, mainstream press that bombards you with nonsense like Corey Lewandowski screaming, Tom Brady, baby! and self-appointed troop defender Jake Tapper. In the pop culture corner, we talk about Comedy Central's Nathan For You and Corporate, with an emphasis on their anti-capitalist messages. And for story time, Sam will tell you all about the perils of the papaya tree. Now put those feet on the dashboard and relax. It's the plunge. Sam, can you believe it's been 16 episodes of The Plunge? Yeah, and we still suck. We do, but you know what doesn't suck? All of the stories we're going to talk about today. <laughs> Just kidding, it's all shit. Um, so I want to start the show with a quote from Jeremy Scahill on Twitter, one of my favorite political commentators and writers, one of the co-founders of The Intercept, host of an excellent podcast called Intercepted in which he talks about a lot of the similar sort of issues we do on this show. Washington, in one corner, we have despicable partisan rats putting out a skewed propaganda document. On the other, we have political elites fighting to keep their kingdom of secrecy that allows all manner of abuses. That's a great tweet. I retweeted that shit. That's regarding this whole memo, the Nunes memo shit that's going on right now, which is... We'll dive into that a little bit, but honestly, it's just another fucking stunt to get you to watch TV. It's not a big fucking... Fuck it. What'd you make of that whole whole fiasco? So specifically for the listeners, we're talking about this Nunes memo that the Democrats didn't want released because supposedly this one-page memo reveals that the FBI has an unfair bias against Donald Trump and has been investigating him and all this bullshit. And in the end of the day, it's a one-page memo that says basically nothing about this dude Carter Page. It's the sort of thing Carter Page, who's the most, like, compromised person associated with Trump. So it's like they were surveilling him as not, like, a shocker. 
my main take on this whole nonsense was like Jeremy Scahill said, he put it very eloquently and said that the Democrats by kind of conspiring to keep this shit secret made it seem like more than it is, which is definitely true. But on the flip side, Mike Cernovich folks on Twitter was saying, if you haven't like, if you haven't read this memo, then your world's going to be changed. This is a clear indictment of the FBI. It must be shut down now. This needs to be investigated now. So if someone as stupid as Mike Cernovich thinks that this is a big deal, you know it's something that's really not worth your time. Yeah, it's almost uh, the rule of opposites with Cernovich. Yeah, when in doubt, don't whip it out. So... Didn't he do that, actually? Yeah, that's what, that, that was why I said it. It wasn't just like a fucking catchphrase <laughs> yeah. of mine. Oh, just so you guys all know, Mike Cernovich, who, you know, he was a Pizzagate peddler, and that all had to do, I guess, with these wild theories about, like, Democrats molesting children. What do you in, mean, theories? <laughs> in the pizza rest, uh, pizza, comet ping pong pizza. And the funny thing is, Cernovich himself was accused of, uh, of date rape and whipping his dick out like Louis C.K. Yeah, specifically I referenced the whip it out to an article that he wrote that was is infamous where he says that if a woman does not allow you to have intercourse with her, you should literally whip your dick out and just masturbate on top of her, which according to Cernovich, she can set, cannot claim is rape. Let's press onward to this prologue for this week's story. <laughs> this, because... one got, this one got dark real quick. <laughs> You know, we're talking about Cernovich. He's an alt-right piece of shit. You know, Sam, people really were telling me they loved our Jordan Peterson episode last week. He's a a hot topic right now. Yeah, on the left and the right, because the right wing loves him because they're dumb and evil. And the left wing is okay with him because they're easily beguiled. By the left wing, I mean, like, you know, the David Brooks left, like that centrist commentators. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. White supremacist propaganda surges on campus. Data shows incidents more than tripled in 2017. This is from the Anti-Defamation League. The findings in this story, and these are as of January 29, 2018, are just stuff that we knew was going on. It's not hard to see the rise in these ideas in the mainstream recently. But, man, this report is just... It really paints quite a picture here. White supremacists, particularly alt-right groups, have been targeting U.S. college campuses since January 2016. The practice failed to get any real traction until the fall semester of 2016. Since then, propaganda efforts have increased dramatically. The propaganda delivers a range of messages. It may promote a white supremacist group or trumpet the urgent need to save the white race. Frequently... The propaganda attacks minority groups, including Jews, blacks, Muslims, non-white immigrants, and the LGBT community. Some groups, including Identity Europa, use propaganda that avoids recognizable white supremacy imagery and language. For example, IE has used black and white images of classical sculptures such as Michelangelo's David or Costu's Julius Caesar. Other groups including Adam Waffen Division, use blatantly violent and offensive imagery like blood-spattered swastikas. These campaigns are designed to spread the white supremacist message, recruit followers, and garner attention. Many of these groups also photograph or livestream their campus activism for use in online propaganda. Meanwhile, campus administrators must address the need to counter the hate group's messages while simultaneously protecting free speech. So these are some of the findings. 
Since September 1st, 2016, the Anti-Defamation League has recorded 346 incidents of white supremacist propaganda, flyers, stickers, banners, and posters appearing on college and university campuses. These campaigns target 216 college campuses from Ivy League schools to local community colleges in 44 states and the District of Columbia. 41 of the 346 incidents occurred during the fall semester of 2016. Huh, what was going on then, Sam? <laughs> Nothing I can remember. 147 of the 346 incidents were recorded during the fall semester of 2017. 290 of the 346 incidents happened in 2017. And 15 incidents have already taken place in 2018. Hardest hit states include Texas, California, Pennsylvania, Florida, Virginia, and Ohio. Virginia, woo! Congratulations. Thank you. The most active groups the Anti-Defamation League found were... Identity Europa, Patriot Front, Vanguard, America, The Right Stuff, Adam Waffen Division, Daily Stormer, American Renaissance, and the Traditionalist Workers' Party. So these are some examples of white supremacist campus activity 2017 and 2018. University of California, San Diego, La Jolla, January 2018. People claiming to be members of Identity Europa attempting to disrupt ethnic studies classes. Southern Methodist University, Dallas, Texas, December 2017. Five individuals associated with Vanguard America, a white supremacist group, tweeted photographs of themselves giving Hitler salutes while posting the group's racist materials. University of Texas at Austin in November 2017. Approximately 25 Patriot Front members and associates wearing masks and carrying burning torches demonstrated in front of the George Washington statue. After campus police ordered them to leave, the group reportedly departed without further incident. What, so they don't believe in free speech? The cops, I mean? Yeah. <laughs> San Diego State University Identity Europa held a private speaking event titled A Better Future. Charlottesville's obviously on there. Chance there, we all remember, included Blood and Soil, White Lives Matter, and Jews Will Not Replace Us. Oh yeah, we will, motherfuckers. We're taking everything. Um, That's right. This just this fucking reminds me of how ridiculously stupid everyone got around those campus protests in 2016. About I think there there were protests at Yale and then I want to say University of Missouri and other schools where they talk, just talked about the culture of racism there. And there were a shitload of stupid ass think pieces in like the Atlantic from Connor Friedersdorf and other related morons saying how the campus leftist protesters are against free speech and they won't rest until every last administrator is fired and everyone passes a diversity test and all the shit and i was like all that shit is so insignificant to me compared to like these fucking idiot groups like patriot front what well, i'm looking at some of their signs swastika motherfuckers walking around your campus yelling blood and soil yeah that's fine but god forbid someone complain about a stained glass window depicting like a slave. I mean, look, some of these posters they've been putting up are so fucking stupid. Honestly, just from a design perspective, one of them, it says not stolen conquered. And it has a picture of just the United States. Like shut the fuck up. There's one where it says your future with communism. Now communism is a, I mean, Marx and Engels were, I think they were Jews, but they were still white. <laughs> so like, this is, I don't understand wh how communism is, antithetical to whiteness 
And if anything, it makes liberals who are complaining about how communists are white or something makes them sound even dumber because clearly the other side knows that communism has to be like a multiracial effort. There's also one with a bald eagle just like swooping up a hammer and single a sickle, and it says "Not here, not ever." Patriot Front, bloodandsoil.org. So I, I don't know. We're doxing the motherfucker's website, bloodandsoil.org. All the tech whizzes who listen to this shit can spam them with phishing emails or viruses, other other computer things that are vicious, you know. And if you find their headquarters, just release some genital herpes in their office or something. I don't know. Figure it out, science people. Sam. It's important, I think, in the context of the Trump era to really, really, really keep in the front of your mind at all times when talking about Trump and all of his, like, dumb, like, oh, eats cheeseburgers in bed. He has empowered literal Nazis to walk with swastikas on their face in public and get righteous about their right to do so. While at the same time empowering CBP and ICE and other government organs that he can control almost unilaterally, empowering them to be as brutal almost as, you know, Nazi stormtroopers or something like that. So unless you have anything to add on that, uh, we can move on to some more... Perhaps some more lighter stuff. Yeah. Well, I guess once I'll extend the offer from last episode that anyone who is feeling alt-right curious or is thinking about maybe marching in a Nazi rally, please don't do so. Please, like we said, DM us. There's another way we can we can get through this horrid life we all live without turning to Nazism. The... State of the Union obviously happened last week, and it's always kind of an overblown moment of political theater. Therefore, Sam and I will protest by not talking about anything Trump said, but rather what other people said about it. I would think Trump gave a very fucking milk toast, a la his address to Congress when he first got elected that had Van Jones saying, like, Donald Trump became president tonight. You know, the fact that he actually fucking read off of the damn teleprompter and didn't start talking about, you know, gangs knifing 16-year-old girls or whatever it is that Trump usually talks about. People kind of heaped praise on him for being like, wow, he can look in this one direction and say words and breathe all at the same time. It's amazing. Am I right that I heard he actually invited someone there whose family was murdered by or family member was murdered by an MS-13 yes gang member (laughs) oh yeah well let's also maybe touch on the fact that his speech had insanely white supremacists there was a lot of fucking Stephen Miller in there a lot of that blood and soil anti-immigration sort of shit made it in there because that's just part of his appeal these days he's been able to keep that around the whole time and make it a sticking point of his administration and he has no interest in letting that go anytime soon so just real quick here are some fucking assholes who actually like (laughs) watched that and were like good god i i don't remember the last like three years of hell frank luntz said tonight i owe donald trump an apology tonight i was moved and inspired tonight I have hope and faith in America again. It may go away tomorrow, but tonight, America is great again. Hashtag State of the Union. Fuck you. 
<laughs> this is someone who has has to have everything in their life going right to a degree that is unnatural. Because for any person who is experiencing any kind of hardship right now to see some shit like this, America is great again. Because Donald Trump, like we said, fucking read words off a teleprompter and looked in one direction and didn't like shit himself all night. Jesus His dentures didn't like fall out. He didn't have like a dry socket. Like suddenly like America is like at peace again. He drank a glass of water with one hand instead of two probably. So, oh, that fucking asshole at the baseball crank who the Chapo guys make fun of all the time. Yes. Trump's ode to crime victims is moving. Whether or not you like his crime policies, victims have a face and that needs to be remembered. Ugh. The first comment is, unless they're accusing POTUS of sexual assault. Yeah, motherfucker. <laughs> Seriously. Jeez. Oh, that asshole Dave Rubin. I think he's like disgraced, like Young Turks guy. Uh, he said, I'd love to see a gif of this moment. Why wouldn't you clap for record low black unemployment? Which we're going to talk about later. Trump's talking points about record low black unemployment. But like, <laughs> it's funny that I want to catch the libs in their own fucking hypocrisy. Oh my God. They love that shit. The State of the Union is a perfect example of how the right wing, in order to push through their wildly unpopular policies, which at face value harm most people in this country, fucking the only way they can win through this just performative garbage this like you have to literal just like television stage it it is so meaningless for sure the left kind of does or or liberals kind of do this and and the left as well but i think it's funny with republicans because they rely so heavily on it like their culture wars shit is so fucking important to getting to people for to forget that (laughs) <laughs> I guess they don't have, like, access to, you know, half the social welfare programs that were available to people 30 and 40 years ago, even. Wolf Blitzer said, he did use his special guests very effectively. What does that even mean? I guess that's just, like, the lowest form of compliment possible when you're trying. Even just the lowest form of commentary. It's like, <laughs> those guests were effective. What? (laughs) There's nothing qualitative about it. It's just there were other people on stage, and it's good. (laughs) Um, This Republican from North Carolina, Mark Meadows, tonight was a home run for the president. Fucking (laughs) shut up. (laughs) That guy's actually a Republican, though, so that makes more sense. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's if he didn't believe that, uh, I mean... Or at least pretend to believe it, jeez. Exactly. (laughs) You can't act like the whole government's a charade all the time. (laughs) Matt Taibbi also shared Neil Cavuto's quote, It's always a hard act to follow the president, but particularly on a night like this. This also goes to show about our fucking pundit class, how sniveling and pathetic they are. That They they think like Donald Trump is a hard act to follow just because he's been on TV before and has like charisma. They don't have any of that shit. There's no reason for anyone to listen to them outside of people like us who comment on the media all the fucking time. No one knows who these motherfuckers are. They're totally named losers there's a clip of a show of chris cuomo who we talked about interviewing failing to interview lavar ball back in the thanksgiving episode (laughs) 
but Chris Cuomo and I think Maggie Haberman talking about how Michael Wolff is untrustworthy and he's a lazy journalist and all this shit. And I was like, you motherfuckers, he, he just doesn't have to play by your stupid journalistic rules and people know his name, unlike you. You are just a nameless fucking loser and you are just butthurt about this. Yeah, like, honestly, you're all playing the same game. He's just kind of fucking winning. Yeah, like, yeah it's a different strategy and for this fucking White House, it's a better strategy. But there was more about that stupid State of the Union, you know, in case the terrorists fucking nuke. Starring Kiefer Sutherland. <laughs> Which apparently is like an abysmal West Wing-esque show. But um, this fucking designated survivor shit, just in case, I guess, the State of the Union is nuked and we lose everyone in government or whatever, then you have one designated survivor. And this time, it was this fucking Purdue chicken executive <laughs> named Sonny <laughs> Purdue. It's a fucking chicken Sonny man. Purdue. If the, the entire government falls, like the chicken. <laughs> if the entire government falls, we need the chicken, Dan. Honestly, though, he is the head of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, <laughs> so that's also maybe... that's hellish in itself. <laughs> Fox News had this like five things you didn't know about Sonny Purdue. <laughs> Purdue. Sonny isn't his real name. <laughs> yeah, he was born as George Irvine Purdue the Third. <laughs> Ooh, Purdue is a movie star. While George is governor, Purdue starred in the film We Are Marshall, playing East Carolina University's football coach. The movie is based on the plane crash that killed members of Marshall University's football team in 1970. Fun. <laughs> Okay, so he also was a former veterinarian, which is so fucked up. <laughs> Imagine if you went Saving from healing animals. Like slaughtering them. <laughs> yeah, on an unbelievable scale. And chickens, I think, are some of the worst treated farm animals, especially even just egg-laying chickens. They will basically starve the chickens before they slaughter them, at least the egg-laying ones, because they have this biological response to just shoot out a bunch more eggs. It's insane. Like, the... The level of mistreatment of animals in these fucking, even in Purdue chicken and all this shit is just stupefying. So it's weird for me to think of a veterinarian, someone who goes from healing animals to, I guess he's the best suited. It's like when doctors become serial killers, they're like the best suited person for it because they know how to keep them alive and also how to kill them or something. Yeah. I want to live in the chicken republic of the United States. So Joe Kennedy was the guy who gave the Democrat response. And speaking of chickens, let's be honest, after a clear rebuke of dynastic politics in the most embarrassing way possible, the Democrats are so just right on the money picking a literal Kennedy. Yeah. Also the palest Kennedy that has ever existed. He's not Have a... you ever seen the sun. He's so they have not... houses on, like, Cape Cod and shit? Like, get out in the fucking atmosphere, bro. I would say he looks like a marshmallow, but that would say imply that marshmallows are at least a little tan. This is insane. He's like a fucking piece of printer paper with I red s- hair. I forgot who tweeted it, but someone was like, I can't wait to watch Joe Kennedy's, like, blood under his skin. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> well, a writer that we quoted in last episode, Osita Umanevu, at... Slate posted another great article. Who was Joe Kennedy's State of the Union response for? And this was a great article because it talked about Joe Kennedy. And one of the things I didn't really know about them, other than just 
the fact that they're like this dynastic fucking you know political family uh, an actual like her- a hereditary dynasty not just like with fucking like like hillary clinton was bill clinton's wife or is bill clinton's wife <laughs> presumably but so it's not this it's is not a like bloodline he, yeah at least she would have to have merit not just as his wife but I mean, a lot of people say that she's probably even, like, at least as qualified as Bill Clinton or whatever. But at the end of the day, this guy's an actual fucking inbred son of a son of a son of a senator or whatever. And it's fucking hilarious. One of the things I did not know about him at all, and it's funny this is actually, like, a major issue, is that the Kennedys are very anti-marijuana. Which is funny because I feel like I read about, at some point, about how John F. Kennedy was into it. Oh, I'm sure that's true. And also, these are fucking people who made their fortune from bootlegging. <laughs> Certainly. So, I actually want to read the uh, this passage. Uh, just, uh, I'm going to read the last three paragraphs of this uh, article uh, from uh, Slate. Um, All told, his performance was likely solid enough to satisfy rake-and-file Democrats and too insubstantial for those whose enthusiasm for Democrats might be activated by an actual policy agenda. The few specific policy areas he mentioned were shot off in quick succession. We choose a living wage and paid leave and affordable child care. Your family needs to survive, he said. We choose pensions that are solvent, trade pacts that are fair, roads and bridges that won't rust away, a good education that you can afford. We choose a healthcare system that offers you mercy, whether you suffer from cancer or depression or addiction. Decent stuff, but what does it all mean? Does a good education you can afford entail free college, support for charter schools? What kind of healthcare system will deliver mercy most effectively to, to most Americans? A single payer system, perhaps? Kennedy is the minority of both House progressives and House Democrats as a whole who have not signed on to Medicare for all, which puts them at odds also with the majority of the party's likely presidential contenders in 2020. A major rift in the party rendered invisible. That's how the brass-like speeches like this and in Kennedy, they found an appropriate telegenic cipher, although a makeup mishap <laughs> left him with a distracting sheen around his mouth that his yeah. great uncle or Richard Nixon might have warned him about were they around. I thought that was actually so interesting because it's such a weird fucking thing, commentary on the, poli- on the fucking politics of television in that his... Obviously, his most famous fucking family member, JFK, a lot of people thought he won the debate with Richard Nixon in 1960 because he was had better hair and was better looking. It was the first televised debate. But, you know, these fucking millennials, man, 50 years later, they don't learn. <laughs> They're on TV with just drool all over their face. Ultimately, one can't understand who Kennedy actually is as a policy thinker without marijuana. In the summer of 2015, the House took up two votes relevant to the growing legal weed industry. The first was on the Rohrabacher Farr Amendment, which is voted on annually to prevent the federal government from prosecuting medical marijuana providers and patients who are compliant with state law. The second was on an amendment aimed at protecting states that have legalized medical or recreational marijuana from Justice Department interference. In a reflection of POTS changing politics, both pieces of legislation were supported by not only the vast majority of Democrats, but also a significant number of Republicans. 67 for Rohrbacher Fair and 45 for the other amendment. Kennedy voted against both. <laughs> <laughs> But you you 
couldn't even be as like progressive as some fucking ass clown Republican in Massachusetts. Put, <laughs> put together the, these and a record of other similar votes that make his opposition to liberal marijuana reforms look a little bit like fanaticism. Anti-pot policy is, in fact, a Kennedy family business nowadays. Former Rep. Patrick Kennedy co-founded the anti-marijuana group Smart Approaches to Marijuana. It more accurately could have been called Unpopular, Wasteful, and Racially Discriminatory Approaches to Marijuana. All of this is worth mentioning not because pot is a singularly critical issue, although it is genuinely very important, but because it illustrates just how empty the talk we can expect in these days about how the Democrats have found a compelling fresh face is going to be. Policy-wise... What isn't unremarkable about Kennedy is regressive, but the party centrists, perhaps miffed by the aggressive, progressive shifts afoot among the party's emerging leaders, are going to need their own rising star to hitch their fortunes to. For that reason, Kennedy's one to watch carefully. So God fucking damn it! He's just a fucking representative for that, like, you know, contractor, lobbyist class of Democrats. Like, fuck this shit. And come on, there are fucking Republicans who support marijuana legalization now. They're fucking smoking weed on CNN on New Year's Eve, one of the most widely watched fucking events of the year. Fucking just hitting steamrollers and shit in like Denver. Get over it. Jesus Christ. It really just shows that you you do have a fanatical or at least like some kind of material obligation to the anti-pot lobby like why are we why are we trying to get the fucking democratic jeff sessions to be the breakout star of this party it's just a joke it also made me think of that isn't rfk jr uh (laughs) anti-vaxxer yeah i think that came out at some (laughs) point you know he's married to Cheryl Hines, yeah, who plays sure. Larry David's wife. Yeah, which is weird because now whenever I watch it, I'm like, man, you're married to an anti-vaxxer. Now. <laughs> it's the fact that he's uh, Kennedy is secondary to the fact that he's such a weird anti-vaxxer, I guess. So here's my last weird story on the State of the Union. <laughs> Why a Florida congressman invited a notorious alt-right troll to the State of the Union? Alt-right troll is putting it like extremely lightly. That is such a euphemism. Representative Matt Gates, this was. His Florida colleagues invited hurricane survivors and the family <laughs> of a hostage in Iran. Republican Representative Matt Gates, however, invited a far more inflammatory guest to the State of the Union address. Chuck Johnson, a alt-right troll who's been banned from Twitter and accused of Holocaust denying and white nationalism. I had no idea who he was. <laughs> Gates said Wednesday, disavowing many of the racist views attributed to Johnson when the Congress said he learned of after they met earlier this week. But even after Gates found out just how controversial Johnson was, the Capitol Police had flagged the name and called Gates to inquire about Johnson in a mysterious, unrelated matter. The first congressman decided not to pull his ticket to Trump's speech. Just goes to show where this administration's at, what these people, where these people's fucking heads are at. And it's also really worthwhile to Google the image of Matt Gates because he is one of the most singularly dumb-looking people I've ever seen. If someone were to show me his face on a photo or some shit just out of the blue, I would immediately have uh, formed an opinion about him. So I'm glad that my own judgmental nature has been kind of confirmed by this article. 
Yeah, he looks like just uh, the mooch, but like with a lower IQ. Let's get into some criminal justice stories, some positive and some not. We got to give the people some veggies. It's been a lot yeah. of dessert this time around. <laughs> so in Baltimore, Baltimore cops carry toy guns that were revealed to be given to them so they could plant on people they shot. And this coming on the heels of stories like 12-year-old Tamir Rice in 2014, he was shot by police holding a toy gun. And uh, the 13-year-old in Baltimore who was shot twice by cops in 2016 after allegedly sprinting from them with a replica gun in his hand. And the 86 fatally shot uh people by police in 2015 and 2016 who were spotted carrying toy guns so this isn't like an isolated i mean <sighs> systemic yes detective maurice ward who's already pleaded guilty to corruption charges testified that he and his partners were told to carry the replicas and bb guns in case we accidentally hit somebody or got into a shootout so we could plant them the directive allegedly came from the team sergeant wayne jenkins the washington post uh, reports the war didn't say whether or not the tactic was ever used detective marcus taylor a, another cop swept up in the scandal was carrying a fake gun almost identical to his service weapon when he was arrested last year according to the sun jeez <sighs> this is hell <laughs> this is I, I mean the stories corruption abusive human rights are thrown out the window institutions protect these police officers when they literally murder children i mean this is another step in the process of fucking white supremacy stealing people's bodies and lives now that's a point you made about deportation last week and absolutely it applies yes it's i mean it is like you said it's depriving someone of the right to exist in a space yeah definitely in the post like ta-nehisi coates world we everyone's been describing crime against the body lately but it is it should be fucking distinct when someone arrests you or takes you into custody or rips you out of your home or your school or some shit, you know, plants a fucking toy gun on you or drugs or whatever bullshit reason they want to deprive you of what you have. And it should be mentioned in a different light. It becomes like a different fucking action when it affects you physically for sure. Prosecutors say the squad, which was tasked with getting illegal guns off the street, abused its power by robbing suspects and innocent people, raiding homes without warrants, and selling confiscated drugs, among other crimes. I don't even know. These kind of stories just make it so... It's such a hopeless thing. It's like, how could this happen? And then when people talk about abolishing the police, you start to see where they're coming from. It seems crazy at first, but... I mean, this is a case where the people who are supposed to be keeping you safe are in a kleptocratic, murderous way depriving you of your fucking livelihood and your freedom. It's insane. Just to cover their own asses, really. Yeah. So let's move on to a story that's way more positive about criminal justice from the San Francisco Chronicle. San Francisco will wipe thousands of marijuana convictions off the books. This is huge, Sam. It's just really a great thing that they're doing because this expunges these low-level, nonviolent convictions from people's records, and they can actually get a fucking job. Yeah, it's brilliant, and it is something that has been missing from a lot of the legalization or decriminalization initiatives that we've seen around the country and Colorado and 
what I think like 29 states have some form of legal marijuana now or something. And this has been something that's been conspicuously absent is a big criticism of the nascent pot industry, especially in places like California or Colorado. The people who are able to make money off of legal weed are people who are fucking privileged and white. It's just average fucking small business tyrants at this point. And there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of talk about the roadblocks to getting into the marijuana industry if you are black. And also, if you were in it beforehand and you were sent to jail, or even if you weren't selling it, in some places, you know, getting, like in Virginia, the fucking, I think the second time you get caught with possession of like under an ounce, you could face up to like five to 10 years in jail. Like it's obscene how much time you can get. And I think when I, when I lived in Louisiana, I remember reading that over half of the people in jail in Louisiana were in jail for marijuana. And like. it's so annoying when you see these, like, cutesy, like, articles in, like, the New York Times style section about, like, this yuppie couple who's gotten into the pot business. Ooh, like, yeah. Or there's pot social media these days. Like, there's, like, a, there's a pot Tinder. There's, now. like, a pot. And so I guess also we should clear up, because we mentioned weed policy a couple times on this show, to this episode. We're not coming at this from this perspective of like, oh, we can't wait to smoke all the weed so make it legal everywhere. This is something that like fucking has been used to deprive people of color of their life and limbs since marijuana policy was a fucking thing. That's why it's called marijuana. It was associated with, I guess in the 20s, it was associated with black jazz musicians and with Mexican immigrants. So, and that's, this is also the time of, of serious nativism and race science. And so a lot of that fucking the drug policy that's on the books today, having marijuana as this classified as this extremely illegal drug, it, it stems from this racist policy of the fucking 1920s and 30s. And wasn't there a Nixon thing, too, where he explicitly stated that, you know, the, the war on drugs was to sort of criminalize uh, non-white people because uh, it was a way to kind of single people out yeah i can't remember the exact no but that's definitely something that was in the fucking nixon tapes like he he had every uh thing that republicans dismiss as a conspiracy theory spoken explicitly because he didn't bullshit around like there's on the he's on the tapes i remember in sicko the fucking michael moore documentary you hear hear that clip of nixon talking about the creation of the modern hmo industry he's like so yeah you basically pay people more money if they don't have to deal out coverage right sounds good okay cool let's move on to the next thing <laughs> like, very business as usual so i guess just to clear up when we talk about marijuana we're coming at it from the perspective of this is a what tool that the government uses to deprive undesirable elements in society of their fucking life and limb you know and, and, and just and just so you know it's like in the most pro- probably the most progressive city in the country san francisco African-Americans were four times as likely as whites to be arrested for possession, the study found. A marijuana conviction can affect whether a person qualifies for federally subsidized housing, student loans, and disability insurance. The fact that they're taking a step in San Francisco to to really do something about this in the most responsible way possible, in the most human rights-minded way possible, is just very heartening. Yeah. Well, let's get to the last criminal justice story which is not heartening at all (laughs) if someone has been trashing your detroit gas station for an hour and cops still haven't responded chances are your business hasn't enrolled in project Greenlight. 
The idea is that the green light will attract customers by deterring criminals. All you have to do to join is install a small fortune in surveillance equipment and prominent green lights, then give police direct access to all the live streams in your business. This is via the Detroit News. Businesses pay between $4,000 and $6,000 to join Project Greenlight, a program that allows police to monitor businesses' video surveillance feeds in real time. The cost covers installation of high-definition cameras and lighting. There also is a monthly fee of up to $150 for cloud-based video storage. Motherfuckers! In exchange, participating companies are given priority one status on police dispatches! But some business owners who don't participate feel like they're being treated like secondary citizens. It's not fair, said Abdo Nagi, owner of a 76 gas station on Grand River on Detroit's west side, which is not part of the program. We should all be equal. I pay high taxes already. Now I have to pay extra to get the police to come? And Detroit Jesus may Christ. soon making it mandatory for certain kinds of businesses. So, Jesus fucking Christ. Just capitalism and the fucking police and just awful municipal policies like this is atrocious in this hellish future everything is gonna be a fucking app you're gonna have to like load up your iphone to call the cops it's it's so bad and it also kind of reminds me of the some of the most salient criticism of body cameras or you know it took definitely i've kind of come around i've kind of come around on body cameras i don't really think they yeah, because they're not very just effective. Turn them off. Yeah, and also you don't want to hand the police these wide, fucking reaching like surveillance, you know, powers. And I think and the purpose think of them another... isn't well. And the purpose of them is to like exonerate the cops of responsibility even further. Like exactly, yeah. It really what it would do is provide the police with much more surveillance, and it would also provide them with basically the ability to frame a narrative with video. Like, they can just kind of get creative behind the camera and make it look like they're in a lot more danger. Like, you don't want to hand the police that power, even though it seems like it would, in theory, be a check on their power. The difference is who's behind the camera. When the cop is behind the camera, then they can use that to their own means. It's not the same as someone recording them on the street. Ideally, it would be great if you could always have someone recording them on the street. And I have actually heard some people talk about having citizens ride along with the police when they go out to do shit like this to see, to observe them. I mean, there are probably problems with that idea too. But I think to tie it back to this fucking crazy thing with handing the police your surveillance equipment in your own store for your own safety, it really is that stupid, that cliched fucking Ben Franklin thing that people who trade liberty for security will get neither liberty nor security. Like, this is just the fucking, you know, it's 1984 and shit up in here. Absolutely. So let's just roll right along to some other hell world these are some more like media stories of hell world if i could yeah we're out of the criminal justice section which was harrowing <laughs> so paul nealon who was a gop challenger to speaker of the house paul ryan in wisconsin <laughs> is giving out the contact information of his critics signaling them out for harassing calls and messages now nealon lost to paul ryan in 2016 he's challenging him again in 2018 and <laughs> he in addition to being the treasurer of his campaign who's come under fire for his campaign staff paying out $13,000 for staff payroll and $685 in reimbursements for expenses to his wife. <laughs> like, this guy's corrupt as shit. But he 
decided that it would be a good idea to write a list of his critics and their email and phone numbers and claimed that on Twitter that 74 are Jews. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> He's a fucking, like, Nazi-ass, white supremacist piece of shit. <laughs> 70, <laughs> 81 people. 74 are Jews, while only 7 are non-Jews. It's funny, too. What fucking he, hell world do we live in now? He has, like, a stupid spreadsheet that he made about it that he posted on the tweet. <laughs> and and one tab is just all, like, Jewish, 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 non-Jewish. Yeah, it has them listed. It has three... Four fucking columns, name, handle, Jewish with a question mark, and then totals. <laughs> and, it, and it totals Bill up like... Bill Crystal Jewish. <laughs> you know, he went through like the XL and made like a dipshit fucking like formula, like cells C6 through D plus add, or like, like if Jewish, add one or something. <laughs> like he made this for Twitter. Like... You made this for shit posting. You made a fucking screen. What do you call that? A spreadsheet for shit posting. Also, is it any secret that there are a lot of Jews in media? Get with the times, you fucking dinosaur. Jesus Christ. But not to mention he said Yasher Ali is Jewish when he <laughs> said he's not. Um, yeah, he probably just like wrote people who who he didn't think were like God-fearing Christians. He probably just wrote them off as fucking Jews or at least like cultural Jews or something. So here's another Hell World media story from this week. Here's a headline from the New York Times. Supporters fear Trump's speech will lack the edge they love. And Trump tries to move past tumult in State of the Union speech. These were both from uh, the 31st, uh, or the, uh, the, the before the State of the Union, rather. Um, <laughs> why does the New York Times give a shit about these people to the level that they do? Why do they try to win over these people who will never give their paper money and believe them to be like, <laughs> you know, fake, hateful urban Jews. Like, I don't know. The only thing I can think of is that every fucking center, centrist, like liberal moron already has a New York Times subscription. So they can't rely on that market anymore to generate new business. And because they're already so profitable and successful with that market, they're like, we need just fucking conservatives at this point. Who's on board? Like, Anyone want to read some shit from, uh, I don't know, uh, fucking Rod Dreher? Yeah, let's give him an op-ed. Let's give fucking anyone, any one of these conservative wackos an op-ed. I remember one guy who edited a blog about Trump got a fucking op-ed. It was like, I used to be Trump's biggest supporter. Now I'm not so sure. <laughs> I mean, they really just seem to want the fucking right wing to read their shit now. They're, they're done with appealing to liberals. They'll maintain the liberal market they have, but... They're ready for new business development. <laughs> oh, this was a good one. Erin uh, Gloria Ryan, who writes for the Daily Beast, shared this. I, I don't know what article it's from, but spotted. Corey Lewandowski, who was obviously Trump's former campaign manager. Or was that was that his position? I think so, yeah. Uh, who, who fucking cares? He was, a, he was a guy on the Trump campaign. And he is, uh, he's since been accused of a weird, like, sexual harassment thing where he, like, kept, like, spanking a 
singer at a Trump event. Really strange shit. Like a woman he didn't even know. Yeah. Just a really fucked up weird dude. But spotted. Corey Lewandowski yesterday at the corner of 15th and Pennsylvania. Our tipster yelled, go Patriots at Corey. And he yelled back, Tom Brady, baby. (laughs) See, Dan, this is why you got to come down to D.C., man. You can see this shit on the street. (laughs) God, yeah. That would never fly in the Big Apple. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he'd be just beaten instantly. But here, I'm sure a shitload of like chud tourists uh, were fucking circled around him to prevent any libs from attacking him. And here's something I think we might have been good to say this at the top, but Sam actually uh, wrote out an articulate mission statement for the show, and I think I want to read it before we go into the next story. The Plunge is a news and pop culture commentary machine. Yeah, really a machine. (laughs) Two guys on Skype. That shows how centrism, capital, the profit motive, and horse race politics are massive collective delusions sustained by the media. We are inspired by five core principles. Always punch up, not down. Human rights over economic concerns. Class politics and identity politics must work together. Actions speak louder than words. And stealing is usually fine. Usually. Don't steal from people who have less than you, though. So I think that articulates kind of what we're trying to do here. And one of the things you mentioned was horse race politics. Now, the guy we're going to talk about for a second here is John Heilman, who you might know if, like me, you got suckered into that show The Circus on Showtime, co-hosted by him and his partner Mark Halpern, who, Sam, you know what's happened to Mark Halpern, right? Tell the listeners. He was accused of some pretty grisly sexual harassment, uh, literally like putting his dick on like one of his coworkers' shoulders in the, sometime <laughs> in the early 2000s or the 90s. I can't remember. Oh, it's I don't know. a fun thing to do around the office. Yeah, I, so. I, I, it's fine. So Halperin got fired from uh, as an MSNBC analyst. He lost his book deal, which uh, kind of opened up the door to Fire and Fury becoming like this definitive book. Mark Halpern and this guy, John Heilman, who's still employed because he didn't whip his dick out, apparently, but he's just as fucking stupid. They were writing partners, and they were two of the people who pushed this idea of horse race politics, access journalism, these day-to-day bullshit stories. Like, like, they're all about the horse race. And we might not have used that term on this show, but I think that's a lot of times like what we're kind of getting at here is that politics is not often what you see in the day-to-day news yeah it's not this head-to-head like struggle of personalities politics is a very large process that determines who gets what and when that's all that's fucking material politics that's what we're concerned exactly about on the show. not this like not this horse shit of like donald trump dunks on hillary clinton i, I don't know you know it makes us dumber to engage with that bullshit so Mark Halperin is disgraced, gone, fuck him, he's dead. But for many, not dead, but for many years, <laughs> <laughs> for many years, Halperin's well, um, rotting maggots everywhere. I know, ugh, just the worst of the worst in the media class. But his uh, ex-partner Heilman was on MSNBC twice this week. And literally, this is the dumbest shit. Okay. I'm just going to read the uh, the Hills uh, write-up on this. This is from earlier in the week. 
NBC News and MSNBC National Affairs analyst John Heilman on Tuesday asked Representative Eric Swalwell if he thought House Intelligence Committee Chairman Devin Nunes had been compromised by the Russians. The question comes following a Monday vote in the House Intelligence Committee to make a controversial Republican-crafted memo public. Congressman, I'm going to ask you a question. I asked Senator Murphy a little earlier. Uh, It's an impolite question, one that would have seemed absurd in almost any other circumstance. Congressman Nunes, your chairman, it is suggested not by me, but by people who follow these matters closely. God, that's such a Trump thing. Like, I, 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 people are telling I, me. I, people, everyone's, everyone's talking about this. Could possibly be someone who's been compromised by the Russians. Is that something you consider a possibility? God, MSNBC is such fucking garbage, like 90% of the day. Swalwell stopped short of saying Nunes was compromised by the Russians, but responded that he thinks Nunes has been actively involved in this very disruptive process. What do you think is the motive here, Sam? You know, honestly, I can't even weigh in on this other than the fact that, like, this is just designed to generate fucking business for whatever news outlet does this, is allows this kind of, like, head-on-head sensational fucking it just discredits like it discredits all of the legitimate criticisms against the republicans yeah yeah it makes you because they can reduce you to this straw man of the nbc you know moron but i also am very confused as to how to pronounce Devin Nunez's name is it? Is it is Nunez it or Nunes? I, I have know. no fucking idea. No one seems to know. Everyone pronounces it differently. I've heard people pronounce it Nunez, but there's no tilde on the second N. I mean, it's it's a total mystery. This is what we need to get to the bottom of: is how to pronounce this motherfucker's name. I don't care about any of this memo bullshit. What? Release the name. Yeah, release the name. Release his birth certificate. Um, <laughs> With like a phonetic explanation. I need I need the deets. So I found this short write-up in RT of an even dumber comment John Heilman made later in the week. <laughs> Does Vidania. So you are either with us or Russian. That seems to be the logic of mainstream liberal media oh. as yet another politician supporting the release of a memo on FBI surveillance abuse is is branded team russia veteran journalist and msnbc political analyst john heilman accused house speaker paul ryan of being a russian stooge during a political discussion about devin noon fbi memo (laughs) according to heilman ryan's decision to stand with and president trump means he's now on team russia it has clarified the extent to which Paul Ryan is no lo- now no longer on Team USA or even Team Old Republican Party, Heilman said. He is on Team Nunez, which means he is on Team Trump, which means, to some extent, they are all advancing, in some sense, the interests of Russia. This is what Russia wants here. I continue to be baffled by Ryan's behavior. Literally, like, I, wa- I want, like, Alex Jones to do a reading of that. <laughs> yeah, I... Speechless. I cannot believe that people allow themselves to be caught on fucking like camera acting like lunatics, just railing. Like this new Cold War rhetoric is so weird. I feel like I'm living in the Twilight Zone. But like, sadly, MSNBC's ratings are so up, and yeah. this is good for business. And yeah, man. 
don't let yourself get pulled into the collective delusion that they are throwing out there that like the Russians have some influence in your life. And like, I've honestly been pretty disappointed by how much Bernie's been pushing in the last couple of weeks. That message. Yeah, I mean, all fucking mainstream Democrats are piling on that shit, even guys we like, like Bernie, so. You know, I also I also would say, though, that this sort of shit is, it's not normal or good, but it is just sort of part of politics, and in the past, good things have been accomplished despite the insane backdrop of delusional politics or... In, you know, back in the past, fucking lack of science or no understanding of race or anything like that. So, I mean, it doesn't preclude the fact that we might still get something like single-payer healthcare or that we can't improve people's lives even if our politicians are going insane in the background. I want to move on to the last in this series of Hell World Media Stories. Adam H. Johnson, who is a great follow on Twitter at Adam Johnson NYC, was kind enough to point out this ridiculous hypocrisy, or maybe hypocrisy is the wrong word, just ridiculous. Like uh, his tweet said, Jake Tapper, troop defender. And it shared a screenshot of a quote tweet. Uh, the original post was from The Intercept, and it was an opinion article that said, In the hashtag MeToo era, Hollywood should turn away from movies like 12 Strong that send harmful messages about masculinity and violence. So 12 Strong is this uh, war movie that just came out with, um, uh, it's something to do with like post 9-11, these guys who were sent in to fight the Taliban on horseback. Who gives a fucking shit? I'm sorry. So this, uh, maybe he ser- this guy, maybe he served with them. I don't know, but he quote tweeted that article. And this comes back to Jake Tapper because Tapper retweeted it thereby I would think an endorsement of this idea that this guy's Sean Parnell. We defended the innocent from the violent predations of our enemy. We were protectors of the weak. We gave women in Afghanistan the freedom and security to go to school and learn to read. Shut up. And Jake Tapper retweeted that like a newsman. Shouldn't be shocking that he uh, shares some jingoistic views, but Adam actually replied to that saying, what's great about Jake Tapper is he positions himself as a bold independent journalist, but stands for the troops, trademark, as if they are apolitical instead of a generic inoffensive subject to build one's career on while pushing boilerplate national security state orthodoxy, and he calls it a grift, writing banal colonial dispatches glorifying the troops, trademark, while peppering in the book with mild, around-the-margins criticism of political leadership so as not to appear entirely like a court propagandist. And it's so funny how, Johnson points out, uh, being a troop defender, trademark, is a great way to cash in. And it's funny because, of course, Tapper wants them to keep making movies about war and, like, masculine... Uh, fucking violence and killing brown people because Jake Tapper's Afghan siege book, The Outpost, is being made into a movie. Tapper, I feel like, is posturing himself as, like, upright, like, troop defender when it's, like, this is all just about your business, your bottom yeah, line. He's a profiteer. He's a war profiteer, but in a, like, shitty way with just profiting. Is this Valor stealing? I think he's stealing Valor. I would say it's probably not stolen Valor because... I think that being a troop is one thing and like stealing the valor of the troop is one thing. 
But a troop defender is like a specific type of person, you know, someone who's like really into like war and soldiers and like, I can think of one person we went to school with who was like this, who would never serve or be, or be like capable of serving, you know? Yeah. Specifically, I think Dan and I are talking about the same person who we're not going to name, but this kid posts a lot of alt-right memes. We kind of followed him during the election, but then once Trump won, it got a little too real and we had to duck out. But this kid definitely, I think he tried out for the, he tried to do PT for the army or something and didn't pass because he's like physically inept. <laughs> yeah. Basically the kind of person who is a troop defender because they grew up liking movies where brown people get shot. Yeah, definitely someone who doesn't have a an appreciation of the brutality of war and the reality of it. They think it's just about smacking Muslims around or something. <laughs> Jeez. All right. Grim. We're going to do one more story before we get into the pop culture corner and uh, story time this week. And that's Trump's job promises. And this, I think, is so hilarious because what did he go up there fucking flapping his dentures about for months? Was like, I'm going to give you jobs, jobs, jobs. It's all great. Yeah. So much winning. Everybody's talking about this. Since the election, President Trump has made 31 specific claims about companies adding or saving American jobs thanks to, thanks to his intervention. We went back to see what's become of those announcements. Now, this is a fantastic piece in ProPublica, complete with, like, graphics, so you can see the uh, numbers. Like, you know, it'll have, like, a scroll thing where it'll, it'll show you, like, this is the actual percentage of people that his claims said would, would get jobs, and this is what's actually happening. In some cases, it's, like, staggering. But uh, you don't need the visual to uh, understand some of these things. So I'm going to just re read off uh, <clears throat> some of this piece. And it's fantastic. It's, we attached in the show notes. It's from ProPublica by Isaac Arnsdorf and Lena Groger. And again, it's titled, What Happened to All the Jobs Trump Promised? President Trump has made claims promising that individual companies such as Amazon, Alibaba, and Boeing will hire large and specific numbers of American workers, a total of 2.4 million in all. We found that only about 206,000 of those jobs have been created so far. And it's just like a little sliver of the center of the circle of people in the graphic. Um, like one in 10. Roughly 136,000 of those were genuinely new positions as opposed to slots that were planned before the presidential election. And some 63,000 of them are potentially attributable to Trump, according to companies that did the hiring. <laughs> Remember that carrier deal right after the election? Trump claimed he had saved 1,100 jobs in the company's Indiana operations from being moved to Mexico, putting aside the fact that he countered 300 positions that were never at risk. Carrier received $7 million in grants and tax breaks from the state of Indiana and still laid off more than 500 people. Yeah. Jesus. Trump stood with the chief of Alibaba, Jack Ma, and promised 1 million U.S. jobs, but there's no sign that any Americans were hired. The Chinese e-commerce giant wasn't planning to build facilities or hire coders in the U.S. Instead, it's trying to recruit American merchants to use its platforms with the expectation that those companies would then hire more people. So, President Deals. President Deals. You real? I'm scrolling down these things, and it's like, you know, the said Boeing would create 70,000 jobs. He stood on the stage. But the company isn't planning such a hiring spree. A Boeing spokesman said the number is just an estimate using a generic formula and the sticker price of the planes of indirect jobs that may be supported or sustained. 
Trump also said that going to Saudi Arabia in May would create millions of American jobs, but no jobs were actually created. Uh, apparently, Lockheed Martin estimates that 18,000 may eventually materialize if uh, preliminary agreements proceed, but... <laughs> <laughs> Other companies that uh, apparently were like involved with some deals on the trip, uh, which included Boeing, which we mentioned before, and GE, couldn't even provide estimates of the potential hires. So it's obviously almost impossible to attribute anything to what Trump said about his trip to Saudi Arabia. But I think this just goes to show we didn't necessarily need to be convinced that Trump was full of shit on his jobs rhetoric. But this does, like fucking go to show this article how fucking immaterial all of his claims are and i guess kind of furthers my general conception of trump as just like huckster extraordinaire you know he's the monorail guy from the simpsons you know a town with money's a little like the mule with a spinning wheel no one knows how he got it and danged if he knows how to use it (laughs) (laughs) mule the name's lanley lyle lanley yeah, and then we, we tied into a little bit, this made us think about his comments about the black unemployment rate, oh, which um, I, I don't want to like dig too deep into the weeds on this, but Sam, can you speak a little bit to this and the ensuing feud with Jay-Z? I fell asleep in the middle of the State of the Union because it was boring and also disturbing, so I think my brain just shut it out, but he... Apparently, Trump was very happy to talk about this, some apparently like a historic drop in the unemployment rate amongst African-Americans. The Bureau of Labor Statistics announced that the rate fell below 7% for the month of December, which would be the lowest mark for black people since the Bureau began tracking that data in the early 1970s. And I guess what it came down to was, of course, Trump was saying this in the midst of a tweet storm and calling himself really smart and a successful businessman, all this bullshit. But either way, the unemployment rate for white people in December was 3.7%. So that just kind of goes to show how much work needs to be done on that level. And also they're way below the unemployment rate overall, which is 4%. You don't want to maybe compare the way black people are treated now with the way they were treated in the 1970s, because there are two things that might happen. One of them is going to seem, is going to say that obviously things were worse for people back then, but at the same rate, the other thing you're going to find is that things haven't really changed that much since then. (laughs) And I think that's kind of like what this statistic brings up for me. I'm like, Things have never really been good for black people in this country. So the idea that if you can prove that somehow things are marginally better for them now, that this is a credit to you personally is deeply problematic and kind of goes to that horse race politics we were talking about before, where it's all about just being putting your name on stuff and like being the winning side or whatever. And then Jay-Z mentioned this, something about this in an interview and who fucking cares but trump started shitting on him and it's just like it's just so stupid (laughs) yeah he got into a a small feud with jay-z i think jay-z did a similar like lebron style snicker at trump which is obviously within his rights to do he's like a powerful dude uh i would see jay-z being a potential like democratic presidential candidate moving forward why not 
Yeah, I mean, why not? Who cares? But I think it's just funny, the idea of fucking Trump going after getting into literal rap beefs. <laughs> okay, but basically we also link to a an article. It's a fact check from the Los Angeles Times about this number. And it kind of goes back in, in, into the background of how this how to interpret this statistic that Trump has thrown out as just kind of a you know a trumpian like self-congratulatory thing and basically this the unemployment rates decline amongst black people as a part of a decline that began eight years ago it's rooted in trends that trump can't really take credit for but i think it is also problematic because when you talk about some shit like that then you bring you open kind of a can of worms based on like the disparities between black and white people that still exist very much so and there are a lot of things that still have gotten worse as a result of the drug war and either way it's not something that trump should be able to pat himself on the back about no it's just (laughs) it's it's not his like victory (laughs) yeah no way so for pop culture corner this week we're gonna dive into a couple of Shows on Comedy Central that we actually feel <laughs> deliver a pretty anti-capitalist message, or at least like a a sort of nihilism and like acknowledgement in the corporate uh, giants that sometimes you don't see in uh, mainstream like comedy series. Yeah, I definitely think so. We're to be specific, folks. We're talking about Nathan for You and Corporate, which are two different shows. Yeah, on Corporate's pretty Comedy new. Comedy Central. Corporate has just started, and they're in the middle of their first season. So this is very timely commentary that we're delivering to our listeners, you know. But I think it's funny that the way that a network like that is owned by fucking Viacom can deliver these kind of anti-capitalist, anti-corporate messages is just through something that is like purely comedy i think it's a it's interesting how under repressive regimes we find that the only way to really critique them is through humor or satire and that even holds true in you know america the free and the brave or whatever we still find some of our most salient criticisms of the class structure in this country and our values through like corporate comedy i guess (laughs) So Nathan for you is it's sort of filmed in the documentary reality show style where Nathan Fielder playing himself was like an average student who now goes around helping small businesses that are struggling to uh, rebound. And often these are small businesses that are, for example, uh, this article in Vice by uh, one of the best follows on Twitter, Krang T. Nelson. Yeah, he highlighted that episode where it's like the taxi driver and yeah he tries to get taxi drivers to like rise up against uber basically and when i think in the first one the whole thing was like he was gonna have a stunt where he would only drive around pregnant women in the hopes that one would have birth in his cab for like good publicity i'll quote krang on this the underlying theme of all Nathan For You episodes is the futility of resisting corporate capitalism in American society. Episode after episode, Nathan concocts truly insane plots and a noble attempt to help st- struggling small business owners, independent coffee shops, contractors, and restaurants all turn to him for his unique marketing magic. None of them actually sees results from the stunts, and this is by design. Yes, the plans Nathan lays out are absurd, but they're hyperbole highlights the greater point there is no winning against the corporate giants none at the end of the taxi episode it is revealed that andy has given up and become an uber driver uber one (laughs) 
I like that it's not directly saying like fuck big business, but it shows it. Yeah. And I think it's also very timely in that in the last 30 years, we've seen this huge shift to the service economy, be it the great strides that finance or law or fucking other industries like that have made and the consolidation we've seen in like the service economy. And I guess just the the decline of manufacturing jobs, I guess, you know, if we had graduated college or even high school in a previous generation, we wouldn't necessarily be looking at the kind of jobs that we all look at now. And it's very, it's a funny reflection of that. And also the personal branding, I think, especially with kids younger than us, they all have like YouTube channels and shit. You're supposed to be like a self-promoting entrepreneur by like age 13 these days. It's insane. No, I was reading about like this kid. He's like a six-year-old who's got like millions of dollars from his Instagram. And I was like, yeah, fuck this world. Like, (laughs) um, so this was also interesting in the at one point in the taxi driver versus Uber episode, Nathan sits down to talk with lifetime cabbies to discuss the effect the rideshare company has had on their lives. Flush with billions in venture capital, Uber has been able to undercut the drivers in the room uh, to the point of desperation. They describe default in mortgages, fear of their livelihood and fear of their future. Eventually, Uber will jack up its prices to account for this spend. But by then, the cabs will be long gone from our streets. Oh, God, and then Nathan says at the end of the episode, the free hand of the market has spoken. The enemy wasn't Uber. The enemy was progress. <laughs> yeah, Nathan for You is a brilliant show. I'm glad that Crank T. Nelson, someone whose opinions I respect on the Twitter, is very into the show. He even says that he, he this is the only show that makes him believe in the idea of prestige television which is funny <laughs> oh, yeah, and he like shits on westworld because he's like <laughs> well the prestige television usually means expensive television westworld and westworld I... for sure for sure the biggest impression it made me i was i was like this must have cost a fucking fortune to make <laughs> yeah i'm not a fan but that's another conversation perhaps season when season two comes out we can uh talk about it oh yeah but we'll do that for pop culture the I guess most appealing part about Nathan for you is like he really sits in the awkwardness and it's just like a brilliant like performance and like he is kind of just this like white bread like every man Canadian guy. Nathan uh, it verges on like performance art. I feel like he really has like as like idiotic as the character he plays on the show seems like the version of himself is. I feel like there is this scathing critique of like marketing and like just our whole like corporate culture i mean i cannot speak more highly of this show if you haven't seen it it's like been four seasons errol morris who we talked about last week for wormwood who made wormwood famous documentarian uh wrote a whole article in the new yorker about how much he loves nathan for you so if that's not (laughs) an endorsement and definitely I can see why he would like it because it is a very documentary-like show. It is ostensibly real. It does make the news all the time. Dumb Starbucks made the news while he was filming it and shit. I mean, it's a brilliant show. It definitely, we'll play, we should play a clip of some deadpanning from Nathan. Either way, go check it out, folks. And after the clip, I guess we'll go into corporate. My mission was to attract more tourists to L.A. fame. If you're visiting Hollywood, there's nothing more exciting than seeing the magic of the movies up close. So if John redesigned his storefront to make it look like a blockbuster movie was always being shot there, every tourist on the strip would flock to L.A. fame to see the action up close. Then, all I need to do is offer each tourist a part in the movie. 
their role, a paying customer at a souvenir shop. Okay. Okay. Tourists get very excited yeah. around celebrities and movie sets, mm -hmm. so they wouldn't think rationally. Yeah. Once you have the crowd here, it becomes very easy to sell to them. Yeah, maybe. John was on board. <laughs> Nathan is so absurd. Um, so yeah, Corporate's this new show. We'll just, we'll go through it real quick, but it's like office space, but like darker? I don't, I don't Definitely know. darker. Yeah, it's, it's the office without any of the like warmth. Hampton DeVille is the company, and I guess it's supposed to be like a sort of GE that does like... Yeah, it's like Procter & Gamble or something. Right. It's just a conglomerate that does makes everything. I think that's their tagline, right? Like, we make everything. <laughs> so, Hampton DeVille, the fictional corporation at the center of the show, is not only a shady monolith conglomerate, it's every kind of shady monolithic conglomerate. Dabbles in tech, although the creators decided to back off since that space has been absolutely explored elsewhere. They decided it could also be one of those companies like Honeywell or General Electric, which have gl endless global reach. This way, corporate can and does comment on just how any aspect of society Hampton DeVille absorbs uh, an entertainment company or teams up with a megachurch. Uh, it's a company that's insatiable and sort of represents the drive and unending greed that comes out of working in a capitalist society, says uh, one of the stars, uh, Matt uh, Ingebrigtsen. If it were the number one company in the world, it wouldn't be enough. They have to be bigger than number one. Corporate feels like a mega timely show. It's raw anger, profound despair, and glib death wishes, which are frequent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mirror the echo chamber of Twitter in the Trump era. However, the creators wrote the show's entire first season before Donald Trump was elected, tapping into an existential condition that has lurked in hallways and beyond for time immemorial. We're fairly certain it would have felt similarly uh, of the moment, even if Hillary had been elected, because I think social media is just making everyone aware of how fucked up everything is, uh, Jake Wiseman, the creator, said. So it doesn't matter that Trump is president. It's more that whoever's president is evil, and that's the world we live in now. So, yeah, yeah I just, uh, beyond, like, how much I agree with uh, sort of their, the way they seem to portray Cavellism, and God, the show just looks so funny. Like, there's no windows anywhere in yeah. that office. It's so dark. Um, some great actors in it, like Lance Reddick from The Wire and... Um, Aparna Nanchera. Aparna Nanchera, like, great comedian. There's a whole plot that mirrors the Pepsi commercial with, uh, what was that, Kardashian? Who, which one was it? Kylie Jenner? No, no, it was uh, Kendall. Kendall. That's it, yeah. I was very impressed by this show. I think the thing that's most appealing about it to me is how versatile they are. In the second episode, they kind of talked about weapons contracting. Apparently, Hampton DeVille has a weapons arm. That was particularly funny to me, maybe because I live in Northern Virginia, which is the house that the Iraq war built probably um, given the amount of military contractors and creepy people out here. But I like how nihilistic and apocalyptic and dark it was. It definitely, my, one of my arguments against capitalism has been that it, it can only grow to a certain point before it just eats the earth. And you get a sense that Hampton DeVille is so deeply entrenched that they want to be so successful and brutal that they will literally destroy the earth in the process of it. And it really does mirror how I feel about late capitalism and where we're at. It's just like, how much further can this shit go before we just start eating ourselves? Themselves. And that is what really happens to the characters. They wind up just grinding themselves into the dirt to, you know, continue destroying the earth. <laughs> it's yeah, 
And just a, to a final endorsement, like the joke per minute is like crazy. Like it's like 30 rock or something. It's really, really well written. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm very excited to see the rest of the season. Uh, it's airing now on Comedy Central. Um, so story time this week, Sam. Uh, what the fuck is this papaya tree <laughs> incident? <laughs> well, you told a story that was kind of psychedelic last time. So I'm going to tell you a very odd story. I was entertaining uh, two visitors from the Boston area who were very to the left in terms of being interested in Marxist politics and anarchist politics. And we were walking in New Orleans. This is when I was at college. And we were in this area in New Orleans near Audubon Park where, Dan, you remember when we went to Audubon Park, there's massive Southern mansions and like wild architecture around there. Yes, it feels like another, it's from another time. For sure, but it's also extremely creepy in that you can, a lot of them are like plantation houses, you can kind of, you know, surmise how this wealth was created, and it's a funny place to be walking through with some fucking lefties, so we were already kind of in a weird state of mind, but we ran into this lady who was fucking a perfect example of the kind of person who lives in this area (laughs) she was wearing extremely like an all-white tracksuit that was like very tight and she had very artificial hair and you know was very made up she was clearly a woman of wealth who cared about her appearance a lot and she had these three fucking dogs they were tiny i don't think they were bichons they were some small yappy rich lady dog there were three of them and they're wearing tie-dye matching tie-dye shirts and now you know we may or may not have have eaten something beforehand so we're like looking at the trees and shit and being like oh man look at that southern tree look at these oaks because we're all a bunch of northerners i'm not from new orleans or anything but we were walking around looking at all this shit and i think this mate lady must have heard us commenting on the foliage she just stops she was walking at like 20 feet in front of us and she waits questions and she like looks at us and she goes have you ever seen a papaya tree (laughs) we're like like, no (laughs) it was four of us and this lady is like well most people think they're weeds but you can harvest papayas off them come a little further i'll show you and we're like Whoa, we're gonna see papaya tree, and we you thought it sounds like, like a Sherpa. Yeah, we thought it would just be like ahead of us, but it was very hard to not fucking laugh because this lady's appearance was so comical. These three dogs are running around her feet. Two of them are, she says, the mama and the baby won't fight because the mama and the papa fight with each other, and she was just giving us like these like dog politics and telling we we have fucking no idea where we're following this lady. And she took were us you, into, like... Was your head space, like, the state you were in, did it make you, th- like, take her seriously? Maybe, yeah. I think if she had come up to me in a different state of mind, I wouldn't have necessarily followed her as far as we did. We followed her into, like, two people's fucking backyards <laughs> in this extremely, like, I don't want to say bourgeois, almost, like, aristocratic fucking neighborhood of just mansions and, like, extreme wealth. And I was like, these people have fucking attack dogs. They have, like, electric fences or security systems. They're gonna get us. They're gonna smell, like fucking proletariat people on their fucking porches and shit but this i guess this lady was so wealthy that maybe 
it seemed like if, if we were going to get caught, they'd be like, oh, it's just Griselda again on one of her crazy walks to see the papaya tree. So I guess we had some faith in this fucking lady. And eventually this person had like a, what looked like a fucking weird weed growing out of their shed and she's like there's the tree and it has a papaya on it it has this like sickly tiny papaya on this tree she just dragged us around like a bunch of people's fucking backyards to see what was something that was like thoroughly underwhelming i don't know there's better examples of fucking crazy foliage everywhere in that neighborhood and throughout new orleans which is like a weird you know swampy tropical paradise but it was just so surreal <laughs> and it, it was impossible to stop laughing so eventually we were able to leave her after that and we just like cracked up and i've always remembered that story so i think because you you know put your fucking shit on the line last time and told the story about the kids attacking you with sticks while you were tripping i would tell you about this lady like causing me to like break and enter a bunch of people's fucking backyards in like around audubon park in new orleans yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty good. I'm glad you stepped up. I, I wasn't sure if I was going to be the only one reported to Jeff Sessions' death squads. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, this is part of our murder-suicide pact, I guess. Yep, and that'll do it for The Plunge this week. Um, you can follow the show at plunge underscore podcast on Twitter. And we're on Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, and on iTunes, Sam, what's that little symbol they can put at the end so that our show comes up first? The exclamation point. The plunge. Exclamation point. Like, the plunge! Like it's a and musical. the first thing that comes out. Exactly. <laughs> um, it is kind of a musical. We're like SoundCloud rappers. Yeah, we should just uh, auto-tune the whole show. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> follow uh, me on Twitter at Spaventacular, S. P-A-V-N-T-A-C-U-L-A-R. And uh, if you're at all interested, uh, I'm on the radio on the Craig Ferguson Show sometimes. I'm a producer, and that's at 6 p.m. on Sirius XM Channel 103. And I also co-host a recap show for that show that airs Saturdays, 11 a.m. East on that same channel. And Sam, anything to plug? Yeah, you can follow me at Wagstank, W-A-G-S-T-A-N-K. Um, and actually, I have taken over the i'm not going to put the link in the show notes because i don't want to advertise this too much but i am now the fucking person who publishes all the news updates and fucking publications from our my the law firm i work at which is an immigration firm and if you ever want to find immigration news updates you can go to g-o-e-l-l-a-w.com and uh if you just go down on like the main page you'll see the news updates you can catch updates from me if you're interested in that sort of dry business immigration news but go for it <laughs> yes and we'll be back next week and uh, remember um i don't know what should they remember he became president tonight <laughs> nothing but respect for my president bye-bye i'd never started a sleeper cell before but in doing some research online i learned that the key to running any clandestine cell operation is having a communication structure that kept the identities of the leaders secret that way if any of our sleeper agents were compromised they wouldn't be able to rat us out to uber and bring down the cell from now on we couldn't risk using our personal phones we'd have to get prepaid burner phones so to make sure the purchase couldn't be traced back to us 
I anonymously hired someone off Craigslist to go to a local Walgreens and told him there would be cash hidden in a dirty McDonald's cup outside the location, which he was to use to buy up the store's entire supply of prepaid cell phones. The Craigslist guy was told to then bring the phones to an abandoned pier at the San Pedro Harbor at exactly 1.15pm, where he would find a waterproof pouch hidden inside a white first aid kit at the end of the dock. He was then instructed to put all the phones into the pouch, hook the base of the pouch to a nearby cinder block, and throw it off the pier, where unbeknownst to him, I was awaiting the delivery in full scuba gear beneath the surface, completing the final step of a burner phone purchase that would be impossible to trace back to either me or Andy.